0: Let me give you a quick brief review of what we saw last week. Last week we saw that that we need to live balanced lives. And a key idea here that I love about this study we're going through is maintaining balance, not over extreme in any one area. And and that takes some effort, some work. Uh, But there's four faces for every man to have. Uh, The first face is the face of a king, and and that's the rising to nobility and being a noble, noble person. And and standing uh, 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 for right, standing for truth, having conviction. Uh, The second face is the face of a warrior. Uh, At times, we need to to be willing to fight the fight. We need to be willing to stand for others. And it's not always a physical battle or or a conflict situation. A warrior is someone who's willing to take risks and and to go into areas that aren't chartered and aren't easy, and that we would do that correctly. Uh, The next phrase we talked about is the face of a lover. And that we want to be passionate, loving men. And, and, and love by the way that we would give to children. Love that we would give uh, uh, to others in need. But, but obviously a huge part of that goes to us being the loving men we should be if God has blessed us with uh, a girlfriend or a, a fiance or a wife in our life. And that we would be amazingly loving towards them. Uh, By the way, I told last week about how my assistant is married uh, to a guy named Ricky Murray that's here and I'm trying to spot Ricky. He doesn't want to be pointed out. That's why I was going to point him out. Uh, But anyway, uh, I found out, remember I told you, do you see him right there? You're going to point him out for me, Tony? Right in the middle, right over here. Okay, I, my, my lights aren't on. Anyway, um, but, but I found out something else that Ricky did to Talia because he was very romantic to her, very loving towards her, and that's what won her over. Well, one night, she, they're, they're dating, and she goes into her bedroom, flips off the lights, hops into bed, and turns over, and on the ceiling, there's these glow tapes that it says, um, I love you, love me. And she was like, oh, and she was all excited. So Ricky, you know, he kept scoring big points. I do want to point something out to you. Uh, uh, When you're romantic to a woman and she likes you, that's called romance. When you're romantic to a woman and she doesn't like you, you're a stalker. (laughs) So uh, you got to grab hold of the difference. And so part of being romantic is tuning into that and not missing out on it. We also are called to be a friend. Uh, deep, deep friendship should mark every man's life, uh, uh, being knit together with another man, an iron sharpening iron relationship should be there. And so the key though is we gotta have a balance between all four, they all have to be carried out correctly so that we're not abusive, we're not dictatorial, we're not driven by anger, uh, uh, we're driven by faith in God, we're empowered by the grace of God and we operate in the love of God and, and that's what God wants us to do. Now, as we go through this study, one of the best parts of it is we establish a common language. In other words, when we say like, hey, we're going to get into the whole idea of unpacking. And the idea of unpacking is is opening up and looking what's inside and laying it out correctly and and maybe casting things off. We're we're going to talk about king, lover, warrior friend again and again. We want to have a common language because um, when you don't have a common language, then what happens is you can misunderstand what's going on. Uh, An example of that, true story, a friend of mine, Rick Bunshu, who's now a pastor in Kauai. Rick, for years, was uh, a youth pastor, and then he was hired to be one of the heads of Forest Home Christian Conference Center. And when he got that position, he just thought that was one of those elevated moments, that dream come true time. And so he's calling his family. Well, his grandmother, who was uh, one of the strongest first Christians in the family, he thought, I got to go tell my grandmother about this. I don't want to just call her because she's not good on the phone. So he drives out to see her and he goes and sees his elderly grandmother and he sits down and he said, Grandma, you know, I know you're proud I'm a pastor. She goes, Ricky, I could not be more proud you're a pastor. He said, well, Grandma, I guess what? I just got offered a position and I took it. I'm gonna be one of the heads of Forest Home Christian Conference Center, a camp geared in, to, to helping students grow in Christ. And she goes, Oh, a camp. She goes, Ricky, my, when I was a teenager, my favorite thing to do was to go to Christian camp. And, and he, for some reason, he never knew that. And he looked at her and he said, Grandma, you used to go to camp? And she's like, Yeah. And, He's thinking, man, that was like a long turn of the century, you know? And so he said, well, what did you do at camp? And she said, oh, Ricky, we would all go and we would stay in these tents and we'd be up in the mountains and we would worship God and we would study his word. She goes, but Ricky, my favorite time of the whole camp was the faggot burn. And he said, what? She goes, yeah, the faggot burn. I looked forward to it the whole time. And he said, "Ah." Grandma, what's a faggot burn? And she goes, Well, on the night of the faggot burn, we would all gather together, and then we were told to 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 separate and walk through the woods looking for fags. And uh, when we found one, we we're to bring it back, and we would hold our fag, and we would sing songs, and we'd throw it in the fire and watch it burn. And he's thinking, What? And he goes, Grandma, what's a fag? And she goes, It's a stick a stick, a faggot's a stick. He goes, oh. He goes, I thought you meant it was a homosexual. <laughs> I mean, you know, that's what I had in my mind. You go through the woods, find one, bring him back, throw him in the fire. And he said, grandma, that wouldn't be a good thing to do. But anyway, so we have to have our, our, we have to have our communication clear. We have to use the right wording. Now, on page 92 of the book is a place to begin writing a manhood plan. And I want you to know that God has always wanted us to be very intentional with our lives. This is the hand of God that you and I do that. Uh, As a matter of fact, success is found in well-planned out things. And and it's able to be measured. Uh, Proverbs 20 or or Psalm 90 verse 12. The Lord tells us, so Lord, teach us to number our days that we may present you a heart of wisdom. We need to live our life examining our life, and especially with the end in mind. So we know the ending of a thing. We know where we're headed. And we say, God help us to do that. We need to think deeply about who we have been, about where we are now, and about where we're going. And we need to, based on knowing who we've been and where we are now, we need to have a very intentional plan to get there. And, and it shouldn't be snap, it, it, a, a snap-hasty plan. It needs to be very well drawn out. Real men have a plan unauthentic men do not live their lives according to a plan and they're not directed correctly. Proverbs 21.5 says, the plans of the diligent lead surely to advantage, but everyone who is hasty comes surely to poverty. Now, did you hear that? I don't want you to miss it. It says the plans of the diligent come surely to advantage, and in other words, abundance. That kind of life that's successful is planned well. And then what happens, it says, is those who are hasty, those who are just making decisions in the snap moment, those who don't have a direction for their life, it says surely they come to a place, of poverty. They're impoverished. Their lives lack significance. And what I want to challenge you to really do, even if you don't have a book, But having a book that will help guide you through it is I want you to begin to say, God, I want to have a plan for my life. I want a plan of manhood, a plan to attain, a plan to rise up, a plan to be who I should be. And so I'm going to look and ask, Lord, do I need help in the king area? Do I I need help in the warrior area? Do I need to help in the lover area, the friend area? God, most of all, when I look at Jesus, where am I measuring up and where am I falling short? And God, help me to make step-by-step plans to get there. But the idea is to live an intentional life. Uh, you know this, every football coach, every major football coach has an amazing game plan. Have you ever spotted that? No no quality football coach just says, "This guys, play your position and let's see how it turns out. They study the other team and they study how they match up to them and they go into the game with a very intentional plan. And God wants you and I to have that same methodology to our lives. So your plan should include personal things about you. Your plan should, it should take into account your professional life and how you attain in that area. And, and you make some plans. Maybe some of you, as you do your plan, you might say, you know what? I'm going to get more intentional about switching careers. And I'm going to lay out a plan to do it because I'm not fulfilled in where I'm at. God guide me in that. And You ask him to do it and you have a plan. Everybody ought to have a plan that's relational. Uh, uh, you ought to have a friendship plan. Um, about four years ago, I, I was in a major life shift moment and I looked at my life and I said, you know, God... Uh, I've realized that the majority of my friendships are tied to what I do. And I need to have friendships that are deeper, uh, that aren't tied to what I do. And so I got very intentional about developing friendships. And to this day, I am so glad I did that. But you know, if I just kind of hoped I had friends and wished it would happen, my friendships might not have happened. And if they did, they wouldn't be at the depth they are. And so we need to have a very intentional plan for every area of our life. And so most of all, a spiritual plan to grow spiritually. But I want to tell you, we got to do that. Now, if we're going to fulfill this, if we're going to make it where we're supposed to be tonight is this. We want to start thinking about some up close and personal things about ourselves. And that means this, that we need to examine our lives. Socrates said the unexamined life is not worth living, and he was right. So what we need to do is examine our life. We need to look at who we've been, what's shaped us, maybe why we act and react the way we do, some of which we need to embrace, some of which we need to overcome. We need to take stock of who we are, and we need to know our own history. And that tells us why we are the way we are. And very often it helps us understand the very things we do. Now I want you to think about that because without knowing it, a lot of things in your past have shaped how you act or react. Uh, it really does. I was dating a girl one time. It wasn't Pam, it was another girl. And uh, I'll never forget that I was going up the stairs, the bleacher area, we we're gonna watch a football game. And I kind of tottered and went like this and I saw her wince. And, and I, I said, whoa, what's wrong? And she goes, oh. And she didn't want to say, well, that was the first sign I had that her dad was beating her. You know, a man kind of going like this at her, she, and she couldn't help the reaction. And by the way, it told me a lot about why our relationship was gonna struggle. And uh, you know what? Is, is You look at some things in your life, and you might say, well, I was treated this way when I was a, a child. It's still affecting me. Uh, when I was in high school, this happened, and it was affecting me. Uh, by the way, I wanna tell you a sad thing. Uh, a, a friend of mine who's an amazing educator... An amazing educator, Uh, uh, risen up in the educational field, was given to be the opportunity to be a principal of a pretty cool high school. And uh, without any of our understanding, we kept noticing he was really doing things to undermine the sports program. And this school had amazing history in sports. And and he was just literally doing things to undermine it. And and so when I started hearing about that, I thought, oh, my gosh, that that is going to cost him huge. Plus, there's no reason to do that. And and so a couple of us, we got together with him, and I said, hey, what are you doing? You're going to slit your throat. I mean, this this, uh, is an incredible parental Fan basis here. And it's good for your school. It's been quality. It, it's one of the ways that's motivated kids to academics. And he got real honest and said, you know, when I was in high school, the athletes always attacked me and made fun of me. And he goes, I, I guess that's why I'm doing this. And, and by the way, he needed to stop. And he, he was carrying that with him. You know, um, some people find themselves socially not able to attain to things because of things that occurred in their life. And so what we need to do is examine ourselves and not dwell on the past, but understand the past and get a hold of it and not let go of it. Everybody has a story. And so what I want to do is give you an idea of some things that kind of shape my story. Now, the only reason I'm doing this is is I do want to give glory to God for how he's changed my life, but what I'm really trying to do is give you an example of what you're going to start doing as you write out your man plan. Uh, uh, You know you have a story, you know it's affected you, you know it's helped shape who you are. In my case, uh, my mom and dad were great parents, and uh, my dad was in the Air Force, and so we grew up never really having a home. Uh, uh, From the time I was born, we moved every two to four years. And I knew that when I went to school, when we started attending school, that I wouldn't be around there too long. And I never knew where I was going to live. I never knew where we were going to be moved. And so I had to make friendships quick, but I had to be willing to let go of them. I went to uh, four different high schools in four years. And, you know, I'll never forget sitting in school, listening to other people talk about friends they had in third grade and fourth grade and fifth grade. And to be honest, you know what? I, I don't know that I could name a whole lot of people that I knew first, second, and third grade. Uh, some of my friends, we did get close enough to stay in somewhat contact, but to be honest, we had all learned to make friendships, have them and leave them as quickly as possible because we just moved around a lot and that affected me. Uh, in my household, I have a sister, but my sister and I are five years apart. And, uh, I don't know if you've seen any psychological studies on that, but it says when there's more than four years between a child, both children and reality are only children. And so I I really kind of grew up being an only child, and and the way I related and the way I acted. And and now think about this I'm an only child that's moving from place to place to place to place very quickly, and and that's affected me and, and my life, and it affects the way I view friendships. My dad, though, became the highest rank he possibly could in the United States Air Force, and he did it very, very quickly. He was a man of excellence who rose up fast, and he always had that as his attitude. You always did everything with excellence. You always worked hard, and so he rose up quick. When my dad came to the city of Corona, kind of as just a uh, what was seen at the moment as a temporary stop, he couldn't bear not to have some kind of a job, so he went into the city and just said, what can I do for six months till I decide what, what I want to do with my life? And so they put him on the street crew, and my dad, man, he took that so seriously. It was amazing. Uh, When streets would have to be repaired, he'd grab me and throw me in the car and go, come on, we're going for a ride. And he'd take me out and we'd overlook the street. Now, he's not even like the head of the crew. He just believed when you do something, you do it right. Well, he made himself so valuable in the city, they kept promoting him and promoting him and promoting him and begging him not to leave. And he rose up very quickly to be a city inspector here in town. And he took that job seriously. Uh, and my dad always taught me something. He said, You always do whatever you can do with all your might. It doesn't matter what it is, you always do it well, and you always do it the best you can. So when I was in Boy Scouts, right away I was told, You're going to be an Eagle Scout. If you join Boy Scouts, you've got to be Eagle. And, and you know what? I want you to. to I, my dad charted out a plan for me so that I could be Eagle Scout at the earliest possible date. And, and, you know, I got to be honest, I loved it. And he walked me through it and he helped me through it. And the idea is that that's how I would attain. When I got a job, you know what? I was allowed to change jobs, but I was never allowed to quit. I remember one time I had a job and didn't like it and I wanted to quit. And he said, that's not a good enough reason. The fact you don't like it. You go in there and you do your best you can and you make it something incredible. And my dad demanded the job I hated I hung on to for another six months at least. And I would only go to the next one because I found a better one. Not because I just wanted out. And that was the kind of way he raised me and he taught me that. My mom and dad were very involved in my life. Whether it was little league or or football or or scouting or or whatever it was. They always were around me that way. And they had that attitude. My dad loved women. And he taught me about girls. From the youngest age, he would call me in and ask me what girl was pretty and which one wasn't. And here's what he, he had a mantra. Ready? There's no such thing as an ugly girl. And he used to tell me that all the time. There's something you can appreciate about everyone. The other thing my dad told me is the more gorgeous a girl is, the more guys are afraid of her, so you have a better shot of her than anybody. That's what he told you. He said, you know what? He goes, if you see that girl, she's gorgeous. Everybody else is afraid. You go up. And he said, do you know how you win a girl's heart? You have more fun than anybody else around you. That's what he taught me. He said, you know what? The people who have fun, the people who seize life with joy, that's who everybody else wants to be around, including women. And that was part of a strategy he had. By the way, I want to tell you at work, when Pam and I were in high school, I'm not kidding you, I believe my wife is gorgeous today, but when she was in high school, man, all these guys were after her. And so I had already learned from my dad how to handle it. I, on purpose, put myself in a place near Pam, and I started having the most fun and laughing the most, so she would have to come over and be a part. And, and you know what? It worked. And, and my dad says, that's what you do. You, you pick out that girl you want, and you go, and you get her. And by the way, to my dad, girls were a big part of life, and you were supposed to do that. My dad taught me to fight. Now, I know the world today is different than the world I grew up in, but uh, he, he taught me that. And, 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 and I think a lot of your dads might have done that, too. And uh, when I was in high school, uh, I was playing football, and we were going to a, a, a football game, Uh, And the way it worked in Okinawa is they basically put all the high school students in Okinawa into one school, but then they divided us up into four sporting events and air sporting uh, teams. And so there was the Marine team and the Air Force team and the Navy team and the Army team based on who your dad was. And it was a huge high school with thousands of students. And so we all went to school together, and then yet we'd compete and play each other. It was kind of an interesting way to live. And so on Friday night, we had our game. And then on Saturday, we were going to the other team's game. Now, we had beat the team Friday night pretty good, and it was a close game, tough game. We fought it out. Well, what happens? We're up in the stands, and we start hearing that there's a fight taking place, and that this guy from the other team, biggest guy on the team, was going around beating the crowd out of our guys because he was so mad he lost. And so we go rushing down to see what's going on, and I see this guy, and he looked bigger to me without his pads than with his pads. The good news is my friend who's standing next to me was probably the biggest guy on our team. So he runs over to intervene, and they're kind of facing off. And I'm looking at my friend as big as he was being towered over by this guy. And I'm standing there going, oh, my gosh. But being, you know, a typical high school kid, I'm screaming, dude, you're going to get beat. You know, my friend Ed's going to get you. And, you know, I'm not using kind words because I wasn't a Christian. And I'm really egging it on, partly so I could watch him fight. And uh, and, and I'm going out. And, and so what happens is this guy gets mad. He's turning telling me to shut up. And I said, oh, dude. You know, what's wrong? And I'm making taunts at him. Well, then I see the, the police coming, and the military police come and break it up. And, and I, I'm yelling at this guy, dude, you're it's lucky they broke it up. My friend would have got you. And he turns and points his finger at me. And he said, if you don't shut up, I'm going to get you at school. And I I, for- thought, I forgot we go to school together. <laughs> and then I got really stupid. I popped him. And the police are pulling us apart, and I'm realizing he's going to kill me tomorrow. And so are in two days. So what happens is I go home and, and I say to my dad, Dad, I, I'm stupid and I'm about to get killed. And there's this huge guy. Dad, he's the biggest guy almost I've ever seen in high school. And tomorrow he's going to beat me up. And uh, my dad looked at me and said, well, what do you think you're going to do about it? I said, I don't know. Can I stay home? He said, no, you're not staying home. <laughs> he said, Chuck, let me tell you something. You're about to go have a fight. And you, you've got the wrong mindset. Fights aren't about winning or losing. Fights are about hurting somebody. He thinks he's coming in there to fight you and beat you. You're, you're, all you care about is hurting him so badly, no one else will mess with you. I don't care if you have to bite. I don't care if you have to tear. I don't care if you have to gouge out an eye. You hurt this guy so badly that after he's done, he never wants to mess with you again and everybody else is afraid to. He said, it's not about win or lose. He's pro- and he told me, he said, Chuck, he's probably going to do something stupid like this. And the minute he does, you tear him apart. The fact he puts up, nobody boxes in a fight. This is my dad was raised in Tennessee. Anybody from Tennessee? That's how you fight in Tennessee, right? So I go to school. I, I'm hearing all my friends run up and tell me we're about to be in this fight. I have two friends. No lie, walk up and go, dude. I got a hall pass, so I can be there and watch. And uh, and everybody knows, but the teachers. How does that work? So we're in P.E. together, and so at least we all change at the same time and go to different areas. So I go walking in the locker room, and I see this big guy come walking up to me. And uh, my dad did tell me, he said, make sure he throws the first punch. Make sure he does that so you have provocation. So I'm watching him come, and I'm looking at him. I'm thinking, this guy is big. I'm going to die. And he does this, and I thought, hey, he did do it. And then he throws this punch, and then he's coming back. Well, he did catch me, but I'm standing there remembering everything my dad said, thinking, I've got him. And I reach up because this is the 70s. We all had long hair. I reached up and grabbed him by the hair and I slam his head into a locker as hard as I could. And I knew it had to be hard because he was big. And he drops to his knees and I keep slamming it and slamming it and slamming it. He thinks we're gonna box. I'm just gonna beat the crowd out of him. And then I take him to the ground and I'm pounding his head on the cement. Until they finally dragged me off and this guy literally had to be taken away in an ambulance. Now, again, I'm not promoting that today because you go to jail for that in these days and times. This is back in the old days when we said boys should fight. We don't say that anymore. But but, but you know what? It was something my dad taught me. And the reason I bring that up is it's a huge part of who I am. Now, on the positive side, it means that when there's a challenge to face, I've been taught my, my dad, go for it. And being a Christian, we do that. Being a Christian, we don't step back. We don't say, I can't handle this. We don't back down easily. Now, there can be a negative side to it, too. But the key is, is I had this dad who was there for me. And so when a fight took place, he let me know to do it. And the bottom line is this. He always taught me this. You do everything with all your might. And when you think about your life, I'm going to ask you to do this. And this is in the book. I want to ask you to think of those good moments in your life. Especially when it had to do with somebody who helped shape you. Hopefully it was a father, but not for everybody. For instance, with my dad, I'll never forget him taking me fishing. And we would go out and fish, and he taught me how to fish, and I loved it. I'll never forget him taking me hunting. As a matter of fact, I'm going to brag about my dad again. We're out hunting for quail, and three quail pop up, and he pops them all out of the air like that. I just never have seen a man shoot that well. But I loved those times of fishing and hunting. Uh, I I remember my dad talking uh, uh, to me about how to get a job. And he sat and brought me through interviews, and, and you gotta sit and be confident, and you gotta smile at the right time, and, and, and he did that for me. And, and moments like that stand out, especially in some pretty major interviews coming, where my dad would sit down and take me through it. And, uh, and I knew something about my mom and dad. I knew my mom and dad loved each other, that mattered. And I remember watching my mom and dad together and the way he cared for her and the way he uplifted her and the way he, he sought to make her life happy. And then I remember him doing that for me again and again and again. And I gotta say this, I'm, I'm fortunate in this. I know my father was proud of me. And, and I'll never forget moment after moment where he just expressed how proud he was and he made sure it was there. And I ask you to do this. Try to look at some really good moments in your life and think of those. Try to look for noble moments in your life. Noble moments where you watch someone rise up and you just began to be moved by that in your past. Uh, I said it before and I know I'm a son bragging about his dad, but my dad just was never afraid of anything. Uh, I I remember one time um, when my dad was on uh, temporary duty, TDY they called it, and he was away. My mom got in an argument with a neighbor across the street and she told that neighbor when my husband comes home in two days, he's going to beat you up. I guess we were a fighting family, I don't know. And my mom said he was going to get wasted. And I stood there thinking, that guy's way bigger than my dad. And my dad came home, and and you know what? My mom told him, and he said, you said what? And so anyway, my dad thought, okay. So he called the neighbor across the street, this guy, and he said, hey, let's meet tomorrow before we had to work. And I remember wondering what was going to happen. I got up in the morning to watch, and my dad's making coffee, and he said, are you doing okay? And if he was afraid, he didn't show it. And then he took his coffee and he walked outside and waited for that guy. And they ended up talking. Nothing happened. They probably joked about my mom. But uh, the, the reality was is I remembered him just not showing any fear. I remember one time we were coming out of our house in Tennessee. And this dog was so uh, uh, mean and, and so angry and rabid almost. It charged at us. And it got caught on a chain and it's growling and baring its teeth. And we all jumped back afraid. And my dad laughed. He goes, oh, hey. And he walks over and he, he calms the dog down and pets it. He just didn't have any fear. One of my favorite moments, and Pam hates this one. We were in Tucson, Arizona, and we were looking at ferrets, and there was a big sign saying, warning, ferrets will bite. And my dad reaches in there and scoops one of these baby ferrets up and is petting it. And the store owner goes, don't do that. He'll bite you. And my dad goes, oh, it won't hurt. And then he handed it to Pam and walked away. <laughs> <laughs> Pam was afraid, but he wasn't. And uh, maybe the most not the, yeah, maybe the most noble moment in my life that I ever looked at that shaped me was when my dad got Crutchfield-Jacobs disease, and it's, it's the human form of mad cow. And for 18 months, I watched this man I love waste away. As uh, it eats your brain, and as parts of his brain would be affected, he would be filled with fear, and he would be afraid, and, and he would actually. One time, I, I was in the house looking for him, and he's cowering and crying, and I'd never seen that before. And uh, at first, we didn't know why, because this was so different than this man I had seen. But here's why this is a noble moment, because my mom loved my dad through that whole time without flinching. She loved him so much, and she took care of him. And there were times, lots of times, it wasn't easy, and times she would cry, And I'd watch them pray together, and I'd watch her not once say, why me? Not one time did she say, why me? She just kept saying things like, Chuck, am I taking good care of him? And I thought, Mom, you are. And she just would never bend from that. And I want to tell you, watching that courage and that love and the birth of a relationship like that has just blown me away. And it was one of the most noble moments I've ever seen. Uh, When you think about your life, you probably have some missed moments, uh, we were asking you to think of good moments, noble moments, and missed moments, and I have those. But the worst one was, after I became a Christian, and God called me into the ministry, and I was going to college at Pacific Christian College, which is now Hope University, I would come out here to Corona to see Pam. And uh, where she worked, uh, a lot of people i had known in high school worked with her, and and I'll never forget walking in one day, and I'm standing there, and Pam and I are getting ready to go somewhere. And to be honest, I was a little agitated. She couldn't get away sooner. And a, a girl walked up to me, who I went to high school with, and she looked at me, and she said, Chuck, could we talk? And um, I looked right at her. I mean, I I can still see her eyes. I saw Something was, I saw the devastation. And I remember saying, hey, can it wait? And she said, yeah. And um, Pam and I hopped in the car. I don't have no clue what was so important. But I know what she did. She went down on Main Street to the Del Taco down here, sat at a booth and wrote out a note, a suicide note, left it on the table, and she took her car and she drove it off of the, the cliff area over here, behind the the dam, the Prado Dam, and uh, it kills me because there's no doubt that she knew. I mean, she, not she knew I was a Christian. What you know what? She wanted me to talk to her about Jesus, and uh, and I really struggled before God with what I had done. And more what I had not done. And that shapes me. There isn't a time that I drive by there. Where my house takes me by there every time. That I don't look at it and say, God, please never again. Never again a moment like that. And uh, if any of you know me, maybe that tells you a lot of why God. And I believe God forgave me. But that doesn't take away. By the way, I'm serious about this. It doesn't take away the pain. But. That might tell you why I'm so evangelistic, why I'm so big on not letting moments like that ever go by again. And uh, those missed moments in our life can be huge. I was just reading a study that was very interesting. It says that when you've had something happen in your life, usually for the first two to three months, you think about the things you, you wished you had not done. But they said when they ask people to evaluate their life, they tend to look at the things that they... They never took a risk at. They wish they had done. And they found when people get older and older and older, their deepest regrets over those things that they never stepped out and tried. And uh, I want to tell you that that one of the reasons you want this plan is because you don't want to live a life that you look back and miss out on regret. So there are missed moments that affect all of us. There are hurtful moments. Like uh, one night I almost OD'd. I mean, I'm not saying that lightly. I literally almost died from a drug overdose. I was so heavily involved in drugs and partying. And uh, I, I literally uh, freaked out. And I, um, I, I went crazy. And I hurt some of my friends. And this girl who was a very good friend of mine, we got, were in the back of a taxi cab. They were trying to get me to a safe place. And I went nuts. And I hit her. And I broke her, her part of her jaw and some teeth. And uh, then, then I just kept getting worse and worse and worse. And 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 trying to contain me, Um, my friends ended up beating me pretty badly, and then they didn't know what to do. And so they knocked on the door of my house, and my mom and dad opened the door, and I'm laying there bloody. Uh, And you know what? The doctors later said they're not sure why I survived. And I know it was God. I know it was the hand of God, but then I hurt people then. Um, I hurt different girls through being sexually active before I was married. Today, more than ever, I look back and realize what I had done to them, how I harmed them, and, and you know what? That's why God warns in First Thessalonians chapter four that this is God's will that we not do this and God holds us accountable for it. And I know girls I've hurt that way. The girl I hurt the most was my wife because when I got Pam pregnant, um, I allowed her to be pressured into an abortion by being silent, by just saying, I'll back you, whatever you want to do. And I watched how it devastated her. And now to this day, I know that I'm responsible for paying to have my child put to death, and uh, that hurts. And as much as all of those hurts, the most hurtful moment I've ever experienced in my life was when my oldest son, Rich, who had been so passionate in his walk with God, had led other peoples to Christ. had had Actually, I saw the gift of being a speaker in him as he led a Christian club at Glendora High School with sometimes 200 students there as Rich would teach. Sat at just before Christmas to tell me in his junior year that he didn't believe in God any longer and didn't want to even pursue it. I have never, ever in my life felt like such a failure that moment. And I looked and thought, God, you know what? Nothing else to me matters more than where he's at with you, and I can't do anything about it. And did I do this? Did I cause this? Was this me? And I'll tell you honestly, I still don't know the answer to that today. But nothing ever has hurt me more than that. Nothing matters more to me than seeing him come back to know Jesus one day. Nothing makes me pray harder. So you have those hurtful moments in your life. We all have defining moments in our life and you need to be able to look at those and write those down. My most defining moment was the day that I gave my life to Jesus Christ through the ministry of this church. Uh, I went to a church retreat and, and the students I saw there blew me away and they had such a love for God and such a true intimate relationship with him. I couldn't resist it. I, I thought I want to know God like they know him because they genuinely did. And and the day I gave my life to Jesus has become literally the most important moment in my life, and I'll never forget that. Uh, Up there with that, though, is the day that God called me in the ministry, and I won't go through the whole story right now, but there's a particular rock up at Angeles Crest Christian Camp, and last weekend, I was up there, and I went and sat on it, and I looked over that valley again, and way, way back in the 70s, God put his hand on me, and he spoke in my heart, and he called me into ministry, and uh, man, I just cannot thank God enough for that. It wasn't long after that I had a defining moment in my life because even though I didn't handle it always correctly, God used me to lead my father to the Lord and I got to baptize my dad into Jesus Christ. You know, do you know what that's like to stand in the water with your father there that you've argued about this over and over again and he's making this profession of faith and you get to baptize him and I watch him live for God. And uh, you know, the birth of my children obviously are defining moments, choosing their names for the right reason. Watching these things happen, and, and every one of us have had defining moments—moments moments that shape us, moments that are that are set course direction in our life. And you and I need to wrestle through what are those moments. And then uh, for me, another another thing that we need to look at is a defining moment for me was how I left home. Now, it, you, I want you to do this, and this actually comes out of Lewis's study. I think this is vitally important. When you begin to examine your life, I want to ask you: When were you finally released? And set free to be the man you're supposed to be. Now, some of you haven't gotten there yet. Uh, Some of you are dads with sons that are coming up for that, and you need to think about how you're gonna do that. My moment of being set free, my moment of stepping over more than ever uh, out of my home to be my own person was when I was gonna marry Pam. And I'll never forget, we were getting married at seven at night on a Monday night, and I got up, and I'm kind of wrestling around the house, and I knew I'm going to be married in a few hours, and we're going to go live in this particular apartment. And, and my, my dad said, hey, we need to talk. And we sat down, and, and, and or actually, I sat down at the counter. He stood in front of the kitchen sink, and he looked at me and said, Chuck, I love you. I love Pam. And I want to tell you, when you walk out that door to get married, you're never coming back. And you make that marriage work, because you're never coming home to leave her. You're never walking away from that. This, this is it. And I know you can do it. And I, and I sat there thinking, whoa, I didn't think about it like that. And he really did. He said, and I want you to give me your key. I'm like, whoa. And I handed over my key. Now, I think that was mostly symbolic. They didn't care that I had a key to the house, but he wanted it to be that real. And he said, I'm proud of you and you can do this. And, and it was this moment I'll never forget. And my mom and dad were very good about not interfering in our lives after that. They, they were there for wisdom and counsel, but they, they just said, you live your own life. You know, we trained you, we raised you, and that's what we want you to be. And everybody should have this moment you can put down and say, that was when I went. Some of you, it's when you went in the service. Some of you, it's when you went away to college. You just never really kind of came back. Some, but, but you know, when was that time and how did that affect you? So here's the thing. If you have your book in front of you, let's do some of the fill-ins observations under looking back. Number one, my story is not unique. Uh, I, I want you to grab that. And this is not just, when I say my story is not unique, you need to be able to write this about you. When you say my story is not unique, that replies to you. And as a man, I am not alone. There's gonna be some of you come up afterwards and tell me some of the stories of your fights. Uh, there's some of you gonna come up afterwards and you're gonna say, you know what, I remember that, that, that time I didn't share and I should have. Uh, There's some of you who are going to come up and say, man, I'll never forget my my parents sending me on. And, and, you know, in other words, the one thing we all have, there's different ones of us in here. We've shared this in commonality. And if you go, well, Chuck, I can't identify with you, there's another man in this room you can't identify with. In a room this size, even though your, your story is somewhat unique to you, it's not totally unique, and you're not in this alone. The next line's important. Get ready. When a boy fails to connect with his dad, demons of one kind or another often fill the void. When a boy fails to connect with his dad, demons of one kind or another often fill the void. Now, now why am I saying that? Because I think that I am a little unique in the sense I had a father to connect to. If you're here tonight and you can't honestly say you did, let me tell you, you're in the majority. Uh, We're going to talk about that more than ever. The absent father wound is devastating. And it hurts. It hurts. And it causes demons of one kind or another to, to start activating in your life. And you know what? I'm not saying obviously that you know, people who have dads, they don't have those things to fight through and struggle. Definitely I do. But you know what? I want to say this. is It's really true that God created you to have this strong male figure. And if he hasn't been there for you, as you write your story and you examine your life, you're going to see that that has affected you. And uh, God can help, and we want you to know that, but don't miss it. The next line is this. Many men have yet to reckon with their past. Many men have yet to reckon with their past or close out the unfinished business that still lives there. Many men are still trying to get the feeling of approval that they never got from their parents. Many have moments of deep, inflicted pain or failure that have just been gnawing at them. Some blame the past and are victims of it, and they act like there's nothing they can do. But the truth is, is that we need to, to close that out. Part of doing this exercise is to let go of some of those things, or to say, you know what, there's, that's the past now, and I'm going to learn this lesson, and I'm going to... Get, make it sure it makes me better and not bitter, and I'm going to move forward with it. But why do we go through this exercise? Why am I challenging you to do that? Because we want you to do that. We want you to, to, to analyze your life and see what's happened. Now, how about this? Ready the next line. Until a man unpacks his past, until a man unpacks his past and deals with the themes and the pain that resides there, he can never be an authentic man. Until you unpack that past and look at how it affects you and and come to grips with it, you're never going to be the kind of man you should be. We need to examine and understand ourselves, Not to be imprisoned by it, but to allow ourselves to be made better by it. And here's the next line. I love this one. You cannot become a real man without help. There is no such thing as a self-made man. And people who try to do that are violating Proverbs 18.1, which says a man who isolates himself rages against all sound wisdom. And you know what? We need to understand that, that we need help. Everybody needs help in their life. Everybody needs somebody to sharpen them and, and help them make that next step and, and maybe just evaluate your life correctly. And there's no such thing as a self-made man. Now, how about this? Ready? Next line. For better or for worse, we are all significantly shaped by the kind of family we have experienced. For better or for worse, we're all significantly shaped by the kind of family we have experienced. We are, and I love this line that comes from Robert Lewis, we are a product of our past, but we do not have to be prisoners of our past. How our family was before us, you can break free from family curses and family flaws and family things that have hung on. You can be free from that. What was void in your life can be filled by God in such a way that it just sets you free to be a new person, But but it only will happen when you Open up to God and say, God, here it is. Look it, I am struggling because my dad was never there. I am struggling, Lord, because my mom was overly attached. Or I'm struggling because I had neither parent pouring into my life. Or, Lord, I'm struggling because even maybe though my parents tried, they taught me some things they shouldn't. And, and that's hurt me. Hurt me badly. And uh, I'm not going to blame them, Lord, but I'm going to definitely ask you to help me get past it and get through it. And we need to understand that. God's great desire is that you be that king and in balance, that you be that, that friend, that you be that warrior, that you be that lover. And, and here's the thing, God has made you to be that. By the way, let me throw out a challenge to every man here who has a wife or a fiance or a girlfriend. I wanna ask you during the next month to, to, to find the most romantic thing you can do for them and do it, and then when you do, I'd like to have you write out what it is and and, and, and email me or, or turn it in. And in a month from now, then we're going to give whoever we think has the most wow moment with their their, their girl, uh, we are going to give you a $150 gift certificate to Fleming's Steakhouse. Uh, so, because real men eat steak. And uh, but, but see, here's the thing. We want you to go take action with that. I want you to, to really do it, to really plan something like that. Now, here's what I'm trying to say. But I want all of us to begin an intentional plan of how we are going to Get rid of those things that are holding us back. Paul did that. If you have your Bibles, Philippians chapter three, Paul actually did this and and he was so wise and he even says, join in in following my example. But I want you to notice part of what the example is when you look at Philippians three starting in verse um, two, he says, beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of false circumcision for we are all of the true circumcision who worships. In the spirit of God and the glory of Christ Jesus, and puts no confidence in the flesh. In other words, he said, I'm not gonna put my confidence in the flesh, I'm gonna put it in the spirit. But notice what he does. He says, Although I might have confidence in the flesh, even in the flesh, if anyone has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. Now, notice he's going to go through his history. The things that shaped his life. Verse 5. I was circumcised on the eighth day, the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, I was a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness, which is in the law, I was found blameless. Do You see, Paul goes, here's who I was. Here's what shaped my past. He says, but I got to tell you something. I, I've learned something. Verse 7. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as lost for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be in loss in the few of that surpassing value. Now notice this next line. Of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. The word knowing there is to know in an intimate, experiential way. He says that's, that's shaping my life more than you know. I know all those things that used to be true of me, but who God is making me today is better. He says, for whom I suffer the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God and the basis of faith, that I may know him. Catch how the knowing him is huge. And the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings and being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already attained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lo- lay hold of that for which I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Now, I want to stop there. Do You see, Paul has an intentional plan. Paul said, I know where I'm headed. I want to be like Christ. And I know, now catch this, I want to be the person that Jesus laid hold of me to be. Now, how he laid hold of Paul and what he wanted Paul to do is different than what he's laid hold of you and wants you to do. He has a plan for your life. He has a place for you to be. He has a destiny for you to fulfill. And he wants you to be successful in it. And by his power and his love and his grace and his presence and by truth being embraced in your life. So you look at the things that are holding you back. Now you can attain to this, he says. And it all comes from this. Knowing God and knowing who you are and bringing the two together and letting Jesus take you to that place. But Paul says, I am not there yet but I know I'm going to be. Now, he had a clear picture of where he wanted to be, who he wanted to be, and what he wanted to do. And he was aware of this, that God had made him a certain way on purpose and wanted him to fulfill it. God's done that for you. And while your past is significant in understanding who you are, I wanna say this, it never has to have power over you. Never does it have to have power over you. The key is this, understanding those things that are trying to hold you back and looking to who you're supposed to be. Let me give you an example. While my father did teach me to aggressively go out and conquer, the problem is I can get way too aggressive at times. I can get way too agitated. I can take things too hard. I, I can, and, and you know what? As I look at that, I think, okay, that's got to be done away with because I need to be gentle. I need to be patient. I need to be calm. I need to have peace. I need to have wisdom and prudence. And those were all missing from that part of the teaching. And so I, I want to hold on to the enthusiasm, the passion, and, and the zeal to move forward. But I don't want to do it in a way that's ever bent on anger or aggressiveness or, or intensity. And here's the bummer, you guys. When my children were growing up, I was way too intense on them. And uh, I remember days where I, I, I did not physically abuse them. But they would do something wrong. Oh, I was, and I wanted them to be afraid. The last thing a child needs is a 200 and some pound man being that intense. There was no wisdom, no prudence in it, no self-control. And I look back now and I think, God, I, I, why did I blow the whole idea that the, the wrath of man does not produce righteousness? And I, I have to be, I have to look back at the past and see where I learned that and say, okay, no more, no more of that. Because I want to look at Jesus and I see that the two are pretty far apart. So I want to challenge you to do that. It's a a time of wrestling. It's not done quickly, but we need to examine our life. But right now, I want to ask you to do this. I want you to examine where you are with Jesus. Can you say, like Paul, I know him. I, I look at Jesus, and I've come into this relationship, and I know him, and nothing else matters to me. Nothing else matters compared to knowing him. Because I want you to know he wants to have that kind of relationship with you. And tonight, if you want to be in a relationship with Jesus that's that real and that intimate and that true, I'm going to want to give you an opportunity to do it. We'll never end this service without me extending an invitation to you to come to know Christ. I think you know why. I won't let a moment like that go ever again. And tonight, you matter too much. And tonight, if you aren't in a personal relationship with Christ, I'm going to invite you right where you're sitting to pray a prayer and say to him, I want this. And by you pledging your life to him, he will take you and he'll draw you close to him and you'll come to know him. Tonight, if you at one time were very close to God and and you're feeling a void between you and him, I want to invite you tonight to recommit yourself to him. And, And there's some of you here tonight who might have to make a recommitment you didn't plan to make. Maybe something I was saying has opened up your mind to some things about who you are that shouldn't be there. And even though you love God and even though you know him, this is a time you have to say, Lord, I'm going to recommit because I've let this be in my life. I've let it control me and I want to be free of it. And so I'm making a whole new commitment to you to recommit tonight to being who you want me to be and not who I've been. So we're going to pray right now. And if you feel God moving and touching you to do this, I'm going to ask you right where you're sitting to pray this prayer with me. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, it's an honor to be with men in this room tonight. And I pray, Lord, that uh, as I've talked about trying to look at my past, that somehow it will make it easier for men in this room to look at their past. And I know we all have a story and experiences that shape us. Some for great things, some for not so good things. And so I pray right now, Lord, that you would help us to examine our life. And and Lord, I pray the things that are wonderful and incredible we hang on to. And those things that are maybe starting to control us or have been controlling us or we're not even sure did, Lord, we'd let go of that. We'd let you take it away. So God, may we be the men we're supposed to be. And may we be found in the image of Christ. I pray right now, Lord, that if there's some men here who need to commit their life to you, I ask your Holy Spirit, come and touch them. And Lord, that this night not go by because you do give your love. You do give grace and you give hope. And I pray your Holy Spirit right now would move in this room. God, that you would descend upon us and we would sense your presence. And those who need to commit to you now would be ready to do it. And I pray for anybody here who needs to recommit their life to you because they're they're not close to you like they need to be. Or they need to recommit because they've allowed some things to be in their life that should never be there. And it's time to have them gone. I pray right now you would stir on their heart and let them know how much you love them and how this is their time. So God, please touch hearts, touch lives, help men make commitments. I'm going to ask that we keep praying. And if you're right with God, would you pray for anybody who needs to commit their life to him or recommit? But tonight, if you need to do that, I'm going to ask you right where you're sitting to whisper a prayer with me. But I'd like to know if anybody here tonight is going to pray this prayer with me to commit or recommit their life. And if you are going to pray it with me, would you let me know you're going to do it by lifting your hand in the air and let me see you. And then after that, I'll let you put it down. But I'd just like to know, praise God for you, man. That is so awesome. Praise the Lord. And for you here and you here, praise God. Wow. For each one of you, that's incredible. We take a second more right over here. Praise the Lord for you, man. That is awesome. Can I take it Well, right here for you? Praise God, man. Wow, this is awesome. Okay, around the room, let me just look a little more. Anybody else, if I haven't seen you yet, just lift your hand. I want to know who God's calling to do this in this time. All of you, praise the Lord for you right there. Praise God. Man, praise God for you. Okay, all of you who God's touching, let's just whisper this prayer to him. Just say these words with me. Say, Lord Jesus, I know you love me. And I know you died on the cross to forgive me of my sins, to heal me of my hurts and pains, to make me new and alive and strong, and to make me clean before you. And I say, Yes, I want this, Lord. So I open my heart to you. Please fill me with your love and fill me with your spirit. And please help me be who you've always created me to be and to live the life that you've always had for me to live. So today's a new day and I'm ready. Take me now. In Jesus' name, amen.